Well, I have different meetings. There's different talks. So well, this is usually a Wednesday night talk. But uh, I tell a story about, you know, I had trouble with my digestion for a long time. Yeah. And I, when I was young, I became macrobiotic, which is a very sort of like an extreme way of eating based on a sort of whatever, I don't know. <laughs> and, but the thing is, my, all my interest and attention would be in my, my small intestine was like my center of the universe, yeah? Just the mind was so engaged with it, it was sort of like a drag. Because everything you ate, what, what's going on in there? Yeah. You could like things could be happening out here, but all the attention's there. Well, on this, and, and then uh, what happened with this one? The one time is I had a kept having this like chronic condition, and so people told me about acidophilus and probiotics. Yeah, and they said you need probably good flora in there. So I started taking a. Uh, Probiotics, and I got the best kind you can buy in, in, out of Whole Foods. It comes with some milk from Canada that has like 50 billion beneficial cells. So I would drink it religiously, like 40 some dollars a week to drink this stuff. And I did it for about a year, and I didn't really feel much different, but the hope just burned eternal. You know, I said, oh, maybe I do feel better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one time me and my friend shut up, we thought it was uh, opium. We shut up incense by mistake. <laughs> and we put it in our body, and we were both trying to talk ourselves into get, we're getting high. I'm going, do you feel it? Yeah. Do you feel it? Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and because you have to cook it before you shoot it, uh, my girlfriend walked in and said, walked in the room and said, it smells like incense in here. And so we went, what? And said, oh, yes. Yeah. So, and we figured it can't be. So we did another shot. And it was incense. There was absolutely no narcotic value in it, but the hope was like, yeah, I'm feeling it. It's coming over me. Oh, this is good stuff. <laughs> well, this is sort of like I was taking this, these probiotics and uh, for about a year. I mean, it must have been 60, 70 bucks a month or more. It didn't matter the money because health reigns supreme. You know, I like to be healthy and be nice. So after about a year, I figure, okay, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna send my stool, which you can do, to the the most, uh, the highest uh, lab in the country called Smoky Mountain Labs. You know, in like the in like the New Age health world, it's a very, that's the place to send your shit. <laughs> so they sent me a kit and they told me what to do, and I, you know, I saved my shit for three days. And they give you a thing and say, why do, we, why do you want us to check? And you check it off. And it costs more and more. So I checked off parasites, obviously, this and that. And, this, and I sent it. And I couldn't wait. I was hoping, you know, it's not sending my shit back, but the information. You know? So they sent the information. I get it and the readout. And I start looking and it, I, it says, all right, signs of beneficial flora, 0%. What? I just spent two years dumping this stuff in, like 50 billion a day, a couple times a day, and there's no sign of them? What the hell happened to the beneficial flora? Well, there was two sort of uh, strong strains of bacteria that were eating the beneficial flora, and they were the trouble. So all my solution, even though I was very nobly engaged in it, and I could go to authorities telling me, you're doing the right thing, but the solution didn't work. It was actually the problem, more of the problem. So my applying a solution was the bigger problem 
It overrode the problem and exasperated the problem. It was like food for the problem, like gourmet food for the problem in this case. Well, in a sense, with the same thing in, um, in life, there's an irritability, restlessness, and discontentment, let's say. Maybe there's a little edge, or there's always this, like, uh, it's almost like a weather front. It lays over your life. It's not like clouds and storms and, and lightning, but when the lightning clouds come and go, they get absorbed back into that weather front. That weather front is sort of an unease, right? Like in Buddhism, they would call it suffering. And not suffering meaning, oh, someone stabbed you with a knife, but this sort of malaise, a, cert, a sort of feeling that you travel with that you're just not, it's just not okay. Yeah. So this idea of this irritability, restlessness, and discontent, we, we'd like to get some relief from it, yeah? And there's a lot of ways that are offered to us that are preached as solutions, but a lot of us have applied those solutions, and we haven't gotten long-lasting relief from the seeming problem. Yeah? Now, if part of the problem is rooted in this self-centeredness, yeah, which I'm, I don't know if it is or not, but let's just say if it is, then when a system fails you, what will be blamed for the failure of the system is inevitably you. Yeah. You may go, oh, I hate that, but in a sense, it still reflects you. As if I only could have managed better, if I only could have done it better, if I only meditated longer, if I only went to that one talk, or if I, if I only went to Tibet and stayed in the cave instead of three months, six months, then it would have worked. Yeah. It goes on and on and on and on, and it just activates a sense of more is going to do what this little bit I'm saying is less now than it did. Yeah? It's, like a, it's like a sickness in a way. It's like an addiction, really. It's an addiction. Because if, like, you know, if the, it's not a problem, but it appears to be a problem. And because we're having a subjective experience here, it seems as real as real to whoever it's appearing to be a problem for. Yeah? So... In a sense, all right, so this irritability, restlessness, and discontent, there's an urge to get relief. Yeah? It provokes what? Seeking. Yeah? Seeking for relief. But let's just say that the problem isn't that you have a problem, but the problem is you are the problem. Yeah? That would be different, wouldn't it? Because let's say when I did a lot of cocaine in my life, and I was totally obsessed with, with coke, I never crossed the line and became coke. No matter how obsessed I was with coke, I never crossed the line where I thought I was coke. <coughs> never, never. So the obsession, and that was the most extreme example of, of obsession I've had this life. I mean, it was incredibly insane what I would do. I would match my devotion to drugs with any devotee in the history of spirituality. I gave everything away, yeah? I was devoted to it constantly. I prostituted myself to get it. And if I didn't have what I needed to get it, I'd take what you had to get it. So here, this idea of needing relief isn't the problem. That's pretty good. I mean, the meter is working. Yeah, The flags are going up and there's a recognition. But if the problem isn't that you have all these problems, but you are the problem, then... When you try to get rid of or try to get out of or try to diminish all these problems, what is it doing but actually feeding the problem? Yeah. And if you look at one of the main 
modalities of how we interpret life here, which is doing and having, from self-centeredness. So let's say, okay, I'm going to do and have myself in a new, to, into a new state. Yeah? But who is that which is going to do it and have it, and who is it that's going to be in the new state? That's the sense of what I believe is the problem, is the idea of being that long-lasting, independent, separate entity, that self. So as self is trying to get out of self, there's been some incredible um, ways of life in this place that have shared with us that self can't get out of self. Oh, okay. So, and if, if the problem isn't identification as, then it would always be cast as you have a problem. But if the problem is you're identified as the problem, yeah, then in a sense how you feel is you are the problem. Yeah, it's different. No matter how heavy the problem was, there would usually be a distinction between you and the problem. Just like if, uh, if this phone, if I have this phone, and this is a problem, I can get rid of it quite easily, yeah? But why is it that we can't seem to get rid of the problem? Because we think we have the problem. No, but he's saying in recovery that you and I are the problem. Yeah? So the first step is to admit to your innermost self in a way that you are the problem. Yeah? I mean, literally, because that's part of the problem is denying that it's the problem. Yeah? It's constantly trying to deny and push away these things it really fervently believes in, like you're a loser, you're not lovable, you're never going to be enough, nothing's ever going to work out. Yeah, There's these beliefs in there that are really, really, they're part of that weather front. And we're mentally denying it. We're trying to say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, with all our behaviors. Even our behavior of trying to become something else is really a denial of what we actually believe we are. I would say, let's, let, let's say, okay, I am all of that which my mind has presented me to be, that it does never, never, never does want me to be. Yeah? Maybe I'm all of that. And in that admittance, yeah, in that admittance that I'm that, it leads to you're not that. Yeah? That's the beauty of it. We're so afraid of being it, we act as if we are it all freaking day. We're so afraid of being what our mind presents us to be, we're acting like it by run, trying to run away from it, by trying to deny it, by trying to put on a good face, by trying to run a, a, a number. All these strategies are a way of denying what it inevitably believes. But in fact, you're not that. But you can't say, you can't say you're not that on a mental level. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's just a mental denial. It doesn't work. Like they say, what you resist persists, yeah? So when you resist this, all of these things that you're afraid to be, that you really believe you are, when you resist it, they persist. They have the opportunity through us to manifest and to express. Yeah, We're, In a way, they have license to, to express incredibly into our lives by our resistance to them. Yeah? So here we okay. So that's why in recovery it says you admit to your innermost self that you're an alcoholic, yes? And then what happens is more and more is revealed about, you know, like you're a fraud, Paul. So if you accepted that you were a fraud, you wouldn't have to feel like one. But when you're not in acceptance of being a fraud, you'll feel like one a lot of times. A freaking a lot of times. All those little beliefs that your mind is trying to protect itself from and defend, life encroaches on it. The security system sucks. It always gets tickled. It always, a uh, hundred people say nice things about you. One person says, 
oh, you're a fuck. Then you go home and dwell on that all day. You have to see it. This is the mind trying to get out of self. Self can't get out of self. So we're saying, in a way, just maybe, hey, let all that you may believe about yourself and about life and about enlightenment, like if I don't practice, I'll never be enlightened. Let all of that finally hit. Hit, yeah? Hit. And then, oh, and then, hey, there'll be a sense, hopefully, or a free sample, hey, I may not be that. I, am, I may not be that that believes it has to be enlightened. I may not be that which believes it's not enlightened. I may not be that, blah, 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 blah. And then now, this is sort of like, if you want to term it in a spiritual term, like a spiritual denial, which works. It actually works. You let all that you seem to be, be as real as it wants to be, and then it, re- it reveals that it's not. What it reveals is it's not you. And as soon as the mind gets out of the, the dilemma, it can entertain, it can be free of it. Doesn't have to defend it, doesn't have to live by it, doesn't have to hide it, doesn't have to pay tons of security to keep it at bay, doesn't have to keep polishing a face and while it's losing its ass all fucking day. No, the whole thing can shift because now the right diagnosis has occurred. So I am the problem. And therefore, if I am the problem, therefore I'm not. Yeah? Because the I that's the problem is not me. <laughs> oh! <laughs> now, it's not self trying to get out of self, because there's never been a set. You now have the possibility you were truly never in self. As deep as in self you believe to be. And you know, let's say you think being obsessed with self is pretty much being in it, but identification as self is a whole other level of being in it. Yeah? If you can break that one by just telling the truth, hey, maybe I'm not that, yeah? Then that, then you'll see obsessions go on back and forth, day in and day out, but there won't be a tagline, oh, that's me, and I shouldn't be obsessed. Boy, I should be more obsessed about this and less obsessed. And all of that fucking selfing will lose its oomph. Yeah? Your interest and attention will be free from it because it's inherently not about you. That's it. The biggest place where interest and attention is being drawn to is whatever you believe you are. If you truly believe that you're this long-lasting, independent, separate entity that's done a lot of shit it shouldn't have done, and hasn't done a lot of shit it should have done, then the attention and interest is going to be like a spotlight on that. And I don't care how many t- stories you tell of how big the hack you get, you're going to feel that spotlight. <laughs> but if it ain't you, the interest and attention, instead of being focused like a magnifying glass, it disperses like a lighthouse almost. It starts surveying things, yes? Your life gets bigger because you are part and parcel of that interest and attention. That's what we are. We are no thingness, and that attention is demonstrating no thingness. It's like an extension of the spiritual arm, in a sense. We follow it all the way to where it goes, and it keeps going. Comes back, not to this figure, not to this thing, but goes back to its source, comes in, and now you have like a well-irrigated life instead of fucking a life like stagnant ponds. Yeah? Trying to like, trying to foster some fish in a stagnant pond, they all die. But now there's an irrigation. Your life is feeling the flow of being alive. Yeah? 
Not you alive, but being alive. Not you being alive, but being alive. Yeah. It's eerie. It's like an irrigation. And you know what? It's not based so much on what you do or have. It's the realization, hey, wait a minute. I've been, I've been instructed to go this way. I'm going to do and have myself into a state of being. Obviously, that state of being that you call you is never stabilized. So there's always got to be doing and having to produce, to try to produce the same state, which it never actually becomes the same state. Yes? Doing and having, doing and having. This is, you start from the being, yeah? You start at the being, and then doing and having is a way to, let's say, uh, emphasize the being, or to, as a form of expression of the being. It's totally different than trying to acquire a being, or to achieve a being, yeah? It becomes more of like an artistic movement, instead of a movement of, of uh, consumer, you know, of trying to get of trying to acquire. Yeah? It's the same energy, but it just takes a whole different form. And I don't know about you, but I, I have a sense that what you are is going to reverberate well with it. Yeah? What you are is going to feel a little bit more, whew, you know? And when you have that inherent satisfaction, the root of the dilemma has shifted. You're not in the state of suffering anymore because you don't have a dis-ease or an, uh, an uncomfortableness. Yeah. The whole point that that's what Buddha said was the source or the cause of all of all the dilemma, which is suffering is what you're suffering. You know, you're in and desiring. What is the desire? What's the desire that provokes all suffering? A desire to become or unbecome, in a sense. Every time I desire something, in that desiring something, I want to more become something I want or less become something I think I am. Yeah? The desire to become is what the mental condition itself is attempting, and it can never complete its mission. So it's, it's always thwarted. So what does it do? It opens up or suggests another desire to try to cover up the thwart, you know, the incompleteness of the first desire. Yeah? And so now you're constantly seeking to try to get relief from the first desire, which is a desire to become. Because you will never be a mental process. You're never, you're never going to be a mental idea. You are already no thingness. So no matter how much it wants to become something of its own making, it can't complete the mission. Because you are, you are already no-thingness. Yeah? So being is already complete. It doesn't need doing and having to fulfill anything, because it's already fulfilled. Selfing is totally incomplete and will never be complete. It's never going to reach its promised land, which is I-ness. It's not. This that you want to take yourself to be is just part of dependent origination. It's affected by everything else that's arising. Yeah? Because it's arising and departing, arising and departing. There's no stability in it. It's like trying to build a house on sand. You're not going to get a good night rest with it shifting constantly. Yeah? How can a form of agitation, which is the conditional mind, find peace? Only by realizing you're not that. Yeah? If I'm not that agitation, I don't need to change the agitation. I just see it from afar. I'm not seeing from it, I'm seeing it. And that's, everything's agitated here. 
The wind's agitating leaves and dews that are hanging off a thing, and gravity's agitating that little thing to come down. Everything is being agitated. Everything's going on. To try to find part and parcel of that and, and produce a calmness in that's ridiculous. But what you are is seeing all of it. You're not what's being seen. Yeah. crescendo in these rooms are pauses, man. Jump in. If a pause seems to be generated, let your mind rest there, because that's true rest. If you describe the beast long enough, it stops. It's so like if it gets captured in a movement and there's enough light, it stops. That's the pause of your mind. Instead of being like this, I would say you're that. You're that pause. Meetings like this can hopefully generate it. You know, you can sense it, you can feel it. When you arrive there, that's the promised land in a way. Honor it a little bit. And you'll never leave it if you don't take yourself to be the you that thought it got there. <laughs> you lose the joy of thinking you lost something and finding it. But I'll tell you, living in the fountainness of things is much better. <laughs> this idea of losing and finding, all it reflects is you more, you know? You're the one who lost it, you're the one who found it. The finding, that space of finding, has nothing to do with you. But when it's lost, it seems to have a lot to do with you. And then when it's refound, it has a lot to do with you. Why do you believe why do you believe that what's obvious is not being seen to be so? Because we can't take credit for it. We can't take for credit for the context. We can't take credit for it when we hear a message, hey, it happens with no thought or effort on your part. Wait a minute. What? In other words, I'm totally irrelevant? Yes. I don't like that. Forget that message. Let me read, all right, it's going to take lifetimes of purification. Okay, I'm into that. You know what I mean? I can get into that, but no thought or effort on my part? No, I'm not into that. Placed in a position of neutrality? No. I want to be the first one to find neutrality. And then I want to point it out to everyone else they're not in it. See, I got neutrality. Please. (laughs) So what's always so doesn't seem that exciting, really. It doesn't. You can't really get worked up about it. Really, you can't. You can't like, wow, I can't wait to go there. You're already there. (laughs) Holy shit. Man, I can't wait for that spiritual weekend to start. You're already there. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to Himalayas four months from now. You're already there. Can I just put it off so I can find it? Come on. Let's put it a little farther so it really looks like I did something special. Let's make, give it a quality of somewhere in this everywhere, please. Everywhere is just way too much. Just too available, too, <laughs> way too available. I'm busy judging the hell out of myself. How can I be <laughs> I think it's a lot of reasons, I tell you, Conditional minds scared shit of having time. It really is. It likes to be busy. 
it likes to be accruing value, yeah, or losing what it accrued, you know. It likes that act of judging and playing around, condemning, vilifying. If it's feeling really bad, attacking others, you know, feel a little better. It really has a drive to be special and right. And it can't do that in timelessness. I mean, all of this relevance is of of a mental quality. It has no relevance really here and has no relevance in timelessness. So the only place it can seem to be so, the only place it takes itself to be real is in the appearance that's in our heads. It's like it's entertained an idea and it uses time to stretch it out. So it can obsess over it. About what happened to Paul back then is the reason why Paul's not feeling now, good now. Well, just story after story after story, building this, these little blocks to get some sense of things. Yet the moment, every moment just blows them down. Everything you build up to be the story of you, you get erased in a nanosecond. Can it? So in recovery, I would say the diagnosis is identification as self. I would say the act of being obsessed with the quote-unquote you is how the mind identified as self reinforces the identification. If you deal with step two, you'll get some relief in a temporal level. If you go to the other point that I am the problem, and realize, not mentally deny it, but realize you're not, actually, then there's a real foundation for a solution to expand, stabilize, where that irritability, restlessness, and discontent, which could be the norm, the underlying, let's say the overlying weather front, can shift into like an easing comfort. So now, once in a while, you'll get upset, but it's not you getting upset. Other things will get you frustrated, but it's not you that gets frustrated. And therefore, it's not you that's not frustrated. So if you don't drink from this one well, you won't drink from the other well. If you want to uh, claim that feeling great all the time is you, then you're going to have to claim feeling shitty. So if you can say no to one, you'll, and then you'll say no to two. You can't say no, yes to one and no to one. It doesn't work that way, really, in my experience. So now the ease and comfort becomes the norm. And if you look at like a, what people call faith, not a faith that's dogmatic and they read, but the faith that is a, a, a movement of mind. It's a powerful movement of mind, faith, yeah? And a lot of people believe they don't have enough faith or they want faith. But my take is that you and I have tons of faith. That's just the potential of mind. The faith has a potential, yeah? It's potential. It needs a vehicle to manifest here in. So let's say if you have faith in your thought system, that faith is what produces the anxiety. Yeah? If you put faith into a failed system... The anxiety that's provoked by the failed system is produced by the faith, really. Yeah? In other words, if you have faith in your thought system, you're going to believe all those thoughts about how bad you are, oh shit, what's going to happen to me next week? And it's got that entertaining what's going to happen to us next week can override the experience of being here. Yeah? 
That's, provo- that's provided by faith. Obviously, what's not happening doesn't have the ability to override what's happening. It needs a power greater than, yeah, to supply that oomph, and that's faith. What would happen if you finally get, like it says in recovery, why do you have fear, all this fear today? And it doesn't let you write a story about why. It says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So the mind relying on this idea of being you is a failed system. Yeah? If you have faith in that thought system, it's going to produce, it's producing tons of anxiety, isn't it? That same faith freed from that thought system and put somewhere else, or let's say nowhere else actually, that faith, faith will produce an ease and comfort in your life. It's the same faith. It's just what vehicle it's put in. You don't need to find the new vehicle, just tell the truth about the old vehicle. Really. And the main linchpin of the problem in the old vehicle isn't that it's a problem, but it produces a sense of you as the problem. So that's where to go. If you can tell the truth about you as that, and then realize I'm not that, that's the solution. And it works. Your interest and attention will leave that failed system and now be interested in attending to other things. And what used to be totally blanked out in your life may may really bring some a lot or a lot of enrichment in your life. Yeah. You may meet people without thinking you know them before you meet them, and you may be able to listen to people you never listened to before, and you may be provoked to look up when there's a beautiful eagle flying by, or go there in another site, and something will uh, take in your little camera location and the tripod and start moving it in a different manner than self-centeredness does. Because the self-centeredness is basically trying to take the camera and turn it on itself. <laughs> so it's always constantly, oh yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> oh, I see, oh, that's a lovely sunset. What the other one I saw? The one I saw five years, oh yeah. The one I saw, the sun is hurting me. Oh, the one I saw five years ago. Oh, it's so beautiful. You know? (laughs) This is sort of like, no, no, no. Some Another director, in a sense, not a director, but directing, it's not a noun, will maybe take control of your little camera location and how it swivels, and maybe, maybe just shift the aperture a little, where instead of being so self-centered, you may open up. And as you open up, you'll find that you'll be able to see what you were calling yourself. You know, this and all the thoughts and the feelings that you thought were yours, and then you expected right behind the thought, there's the thinker. Right behind the feeling, there's the feeler. Okay, the lens opens up, and you don't see one. Wait a minute. All right, where's that thinker? Well, let's ask the question. Who is it that's thinking? You won't see one. The lens keeps opening up. There's no one behind the processes. There's no one thinking. There's no one feeling. There's no one seeing. There's just seeing. Yeah? There's seeing coming through different gates, different senses that facilitate a different experience. You hear, you taste, you touch, you smell, but it's all seeing. And I don't believe there's any point where you can pull the aperture far enough that you appear. <laughs> there it is! The authentic self, the doer! I knew he was in there! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe mine hasn't gone that far, but I felt that it went far enough where I realized 
mm-mm, not there, not there. Hey, it's not there. <laughs> not like, not there, but it may be there. No, not there. <laughs> That's it. She, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'm not what I, I'm the seeing of what I'm not. That's all it is. Try to pin, try to pin something on seeing. It's very difficult. It's like trying to pin a metal on, ri- on a river, rivering. Yeah? Where are you going to stick it? <laughs> seeing, seeing isn't located somewhere with an inherent sense that it should have been good and then this was bad. And nothing gets pinned on it. There's just seeing. Yeah? It's just you can't, you can't sort of pin a, a, a tag on a moving non-object. Yeah. So everything, any identification has a tough time like grabbing on, yeah? Because it's not solid and stationary like a fixed idea called you. It's a moving experience of living, yeah? It's very difficult to pin anything on it. Because everything gets just gets taken away with the movement, yeah? It's okay, this, you are bad, no. You are enlightened, no. You are awake, no. It's just you. No matter the biggest tag the most, the biggest one to you, like you're bad or something like that, can't stand the movement. It gets washed away with everything else. Yeah? It's like a system. You know how the ocean is, people dump billions and billions of pounds of shit in the ocean and it cleans itself. Why? By its movement, yes? It moves incessantly, and yet, if you ever, deep down in it, it's super still, yet it's constantly in movement. It keeps itself uh, fluid and flexible and clean, yeah? We're attempting to put a stationary idea of Paul in this incredible movement. It's not working. We're unhappy and we're driven to get loaded or do this or do that to get some relief. And you know what? That relief is going to demand action. That need for relief is going to demand action. And you're going to be driven by mental winds, yeah? And it's gonna it's gonna jackpot you. And then in like recovery, if you're lucky, you'll have a freaking heavy duty emotional hangover that is like worse than anything else because now you're conscious. You can't get loaded. You just the mind just goes off. It's like eating itself. And you've got to watch every little rat bite, you know? Yet you're not recognizing you're the seeing of it. There would be a, somewhat of an immunity to it. You believe there's a someone that's just a bigger, just a, a huge set piece of cheese to that rat also. You're not. Yeah. There's a, a lesson in The Course of Miracles says, your attack thoughts are attacking your invulnerability. It's a beautiful statement. Your attack thoughts, I'm not saying there aren't attack thoughts, but they're attacking your invulnerability. In other words, you're untouchable. What you are is completely untouchable has an, an immunity to all the attacks, but not as you, but as what we are. And you're not going to know what you are as you. You know it by realizing you're not you, and then you find out about what you are. Yeah, It's a different form of knowledge. It's not like, I'm going to learn about what I am, like the real me. I don't believe so. What you do is you learn about what you're not, and if it hits you, hey, I'm not that, that's you. When you see, I'm not that, and what you're actually seeing, it's not, I'm not that thought, I'm not that. 
You're not the phantom they're pointing at all the day. You're not the assumption that thrives on all this attention going to the thoughts and the feelings of mind. You're, you're not, there's no one there. When you see that, that's that. Yeah. So, Paul, uh, could you not say that uh, <clears throat> the activity of self-love, uh, constantly through judging uh, or whatnot, trying to validate yourself, is that not a um, futile attempt to write yourself into existence, write a phantom entity being that separate, uh, 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 long-lasting entity into existence when in fact it does not exist? It's yeah. a figment of your imagination, if you will. That's the desire to become. Right. Right. And then it does it dualistically both ways because it has a belief of what it is already, and so it has a desire to unbecome. So the desire has two movements, to become or unbecome, yeah? It's like a sleepy. You think, all right, uh, the desire to become, I've given up all my attachments, all my desires, but then there's a desire to unbecome the thing that you believe you had to unbecome by giving up the attachments desire. It just feeds on the whole, all the movements. I see it that way anyway, yeah? It just keeps going. But how do I, how can I get over it by realizing you're not in it? Yeah. When you realize you're not that the place you're trying to transcend from is not real, that's the transcendence. You can't transcend from an imaginary place. For you to leave, you'd have to be that somewhere. Yeah. For you have to, to have the sense that you left somewhere, you had to have been there. We're saying you've never been there. So there's no this huge drive to get to leave. To me, it's just another form, that's a very strong form of appearing to be in it. So if you have physical dilemma like alcoholism, do the steps, do the work, do this, you'll be freed from that disease is active uh, element a day at a time, and then the mind can start entertaining its own nature. It's not like, oh, this is the solution to alcoholism. No, it isn't. Alcoholism is not of spirit. It's of body and brain. Yeah? It's a mental illness. So we take care of it like we would, if I had diabetes, it wouldn't matter if I woke up or not, I'd still be shooting up insulin. Yeah, the diabetes isn't probably going to be taken away from me being awake or not. Yeah? But people think, oh, I'm going to be free from alcoholism if I... You know, entertain these ideas? Probably not. I've ran into a lot of Buddhists that are still drunks. They're still alcoholic Buddhists. There's a big statement in the Course that they talk about, don't confuse levels. There's different levels of mind manifesting here. So if you attempt to take a solution that you've heard about that comes from one level, there's not better or worse. We're not... We have to create, you know, make a little picture and apply it to this level. Let's say if you really believe your house is on fire, to say to start entertaining there is no house is probably not going to work. It's going to be like another lot of the fire, yeah. But it, just get a pail of water, yeah. But if there's sort of an ease and comfort in your life, like most of us have, then the mind can be freed from the consequential fighting for survival all day. Maybe it can now entertain some other possibilities, like let's go to the blueprint room and see how all this is formulated. Instead of constantly trying to move in or move out of these mental houses that the mind builds, because we always take ourselves to be the tenant, maybe let's question how 
you know, what would happen if I didn't want to be in a house that was never built? There you go. <laughs> you don't have to be. It never was built. The freedom is much quicker. You save time this way, you know. Check it out. And you know, whatever mind comes in contact with, it'll take advantage of. I get calls from people who have had quote-unquote non-duality for years, and they are totally screwed up in in their head. They're just beating themselves up in such a like esoteric, you know, very exotic way. It's really unbelievable the level of suffering. Yeah, and they can't seem to get out because they have this idea that they're not that, which is suffering, but they're suffering, they're unbelievable. They're just, you know. This is, you know, this message isn't about nobility, it's about practicality, yeah? It really is. It's not a draft or a conscription. You don't have to do it. It doesn't really screw up anything else, any other religion you may be into or spirituality. Hopefully it just brings a little more illumination to it, and maybe you'll realize that you are the light instead of you know trying to be it, trying to get to it. You know that you are that light. I think that's that. I had a little eruption there, so I'm, a little, I'm waiting for the, the tremors to come up. No questions. Stunned into silence. Yeah, maybe.